Okay, so we've established that there's only one God. We've established that Jesus is God. But is Jesus the same person as the Father and the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about this and answer that question today on BibleCityPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, May the 21st of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to part three in our lessons on the Trinity. Uh, Of course, uh, when we're talking about the Trinity, maybe it makes the most sense, as one of our listeners named Larry pointed out, for us to have three lessons. But uh, but really, uh, I didn't plan it that way, but it just worked out that way. But this is part three of our series on the Trinity. Now, if you haven't listened to lessons one and two, and if you haven't listened to our lesson on the unity of God, we would ask that you would just go back and listen to these in order, starting with the unity of God, in order that you can get a fuller understanding of exactly what we're talking about today, because a lot of this stuff uh, is just continued from what we've already established in these previous lessons. So if you haven't listened to those lessons, go ahead and hit stop now, go back, download those lessons, listen to those, and then get to this one. But if you have listened to those already, then welcome. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. And before we get started with anything, I do want to make one kind of quick announcement, and that is that next week we are going to be doing a special lesson talking about what, uh, what's what been revealed this week, this missing link in the evolutionary chain. Uh, this, of course, uh, has made headlines in the news this week, uh, this uh, lemur monkey kind of crossbreed looking thing came out and uh you know apparently what evolutionists are saying is that this proves that evolution is true well we're going to talk about that next week we're going to talk about some of the problems involved in this fossil that they have come up with uh so don't worry the sky isn't falling uh nobody has proved evolution true and we're going to talk about exactly why that is next week So anyway, just a quick reminder for you guys that this month we're doing a special promotion. Everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, that's our ministry, uh, between now and the end of May is going to get a copy of Norman and David Geisler's book called Conversational Evangelism. And uh, proceeds of this are going to go towards expanding our ministry. And one of the things that we're doing, uh, we are going to be translating these podcasts into Spanish. In case you missed our announcement on Monday, uh, a guy whose um, who's family uh, moved to the United States as a missionary family from Mexico has offered to translate our lessons into Spanish. So that's one of the things that we are trying to raise funds for, for this expansion project. So if you'd like to support our ministry and receive a copy of David and Norman Geisler's book, Conversational Evangelism, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and on the right-hand side, just click on the support box and you can make a tax-deductible donation from there through PayPal. So Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, you are awesome and you are mighty, and Lord, we just love you so much. And we thank you so much that you've given us this time to get to know you better. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. 
and in nature, Lord, but especially in your word, because without your word, we wouldn't have as full of an understanding as we get from your word, including the doctrine of the Trinity, Lord. We wouldn't arrive at that without scripture, so we thank you for your word. I just pray, Lord, that this lesson will accurately refute some of the false ideas out there, the false conceptions of you, in order that we can have a better understanding of who you are. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our study on the doctrine of the Trinity, we've established a lot of things, but we've established at least two very significant scriptural truths thus far. First of all, we've established that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are each persons, since by definition, a person is a being that is characterized by the fact that it possesses will or uh, or volition, some people say volition, uh, intellect and emotion. And we saw that scripture does indeed reveal that God the Father possesses all three of these attributes, as do the Son and Holy Spirit, respectively. And the second thing that we established in this study on the Trinity is the fact that Jesus both claimed to be and is the incarnate God. Now, to set the record straight, the Holy Spirit is said to be God as well. This is something that we haven't really covered yet, and uh, this is something that's actually very easy to discern from Scripture. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter accuses Ananias of lying to the Holy Spirit, right? And then in the very next verse, Peter says, You have not lied to men, but to God. So the clear deductive implication here is that the act of lying to the Holy Spirit is identical to the act of lying to God. The Holy Spirit's also said to possess the same attributes as God, omniscience, omnipresence, so on and so forth. So the doctrine of the Trinity seems, at this point, to be a case-closed scenario, right? Well, we're almost there, but not quite. After all, I mean, Isn't there a possibility that since Jesus is God and there's only one God, that Jesus himself is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, this is actually a heresy. It's called modalism. Modalism teaches that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all different modes or different manifestations of God's revelation or self-revelation. I mean, who hasn't had the concept of the Trinity explained to them by likening it to water, since water can be ice, liquid, or vapor? And what, if anything, is wrong with this illustration? Is it valid? Well, we're going to come back to that. But, you know, there are actually modalists out there today who claim to be Christians. And the primary group that they associate themselves with is the UPCI. That's the United Pentecostal Church International. And just a side note, you know, I I think it's important to note that most Pentecostal churches out there don't align themselves with this cult. So just because a church says that they are Pentecostal does not mean they're part of the UPCI. But Um, You know, according to the, the website of the UPCI, they say, quote, The one God who revealed himself in the Old Testament as Jehovah revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, Jesus Christ was and is God. In other words, Jesus is the one true God manifested in flesh and was also fully man, possessing a full and true humanity. Thus, God is manifested as Father in creation and as the Father of the Son in the Son for our redemption and as the Holy Spirit for our regeneration, end quote. Now, you get that? That's saying that the Trinity is actually three different manifestations of God, or modes of God. 
So let's take a look at some of the claims that these modern-day modalists put out there. First of all, uh, let's just note that it's not uncommon for the UPCI authors, you know, they've got their own publishing, uh, to claim that the doctrine of the Trinity was derived from pagan religions. According to Oneness Pentecostal teacher Robert McFarland, the pagan roots of the doctrine of the Trinity can actually be traced back to the Sumerian civilization from about 3000 BC. And then McFarland asserts that nearly every quote, religion had a threesome at the top, and he's talking about the top of its religious structure, and multiple entities, end quote. Now, in his book, he documents how the Assyrians and the Egyptians both had three gods, and they show how this type of belief spread into the Asian region as well. And finally, McFarlane makes the claim that when the Romans acquired the Greek Empire around uh, 200 BC, give or take, they, quote, continued the Greek concept of following tradition, and the major religious enterprise was now divided into three areas, Platonism, Epicureanism, and Stoicism. End quote. And so therefore, basically, what he's saying is that in the first century, when the Christian church was born, this pagan concept of a triad of gods continued to be prevalent among the citizens and scholars of the Roman Empire. And that's where the doctrine of the Trinity comes from, according to McFarland. But in response, we have to note that the Trinity has, uh, has no similarities to ancient pagan religions as far as God goes. Uh, the Trinity was not present in these other religions. In fact, no pagan religion ever asserted that there was a single God who existed as three distinct persons. Rather, all of the ancient religions that McFarland refers to believed that there were three separate and distinct gods. Well, we don't believe that. That's tritheism. That's what uh, Mormons believe, by the way. They believe that there are three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are not one. That's not what we believe. And the early church didn't borrow concepts from pagan religions in an effort to explain or understand God, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, when thinkers and, and theologians explained something in a heretical way, as the modalists do, they were identified as heretics. You know, if the early church had been trying to copy or steal from these ancient pagan religions, they wouldn't have flinched when the early modalists started teaching and spreading their heresy, saying that there is only one person who is God. Secondly, we have to note that even if the early church had some areas of common ground with ancient pagan religions, that doesn't necessarily make those areas of common ground untrue. Not necessarily. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. It's not what works. It's not what feels good. Something can work or feel good and yet not be true. Truth is what corresponds with reality. Third, let's note that that is the genetic fallacy. He's saying it's necessarily false because it comes from an ancient pagan religion. Uh, even though it didn't come from an ancient pagan religion, we can't reject a priori the teachings of, uh, of anything without examining them and figuring out why we disagree with them. So yes, they are false, but his reasoning for rejecting the Trinity is totally false. Uh, fourth, the argument that because the Jews of the Old Testament didn't have a Trinitarian doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity must be false is absurd. Uh, that's what some Oneness Pentecostal teachers are saying. You know, God wasn't done revealing himself, though. He still had to reveal himself through Scripture, through the New Testament. 
However, there is indeed evidence for the Trinity in the Old Testament, and a lot of scholars have actually written exhaustively on that very topic. So clearly, the doctrine of the Trinity was not borrowed and was not stolen from these ancient pagan religions. But the question remains, is Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit? Well, let's start off with the claim that Jesus is the Father. Does Scripture support this belief? Well, according to Oneness Pentecostal author Gordon McGee, he says, quote, If we deny the fatherhood of Jesus, then we deny that he is God, for, quote, There is but one God, the Father, end quote. And then he references 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, and John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. And further, he writes that if Jesus had a heavenly father, one would be, quote, obliged to confess that Jesus must have had two fathers, namely the first person of the Trinity, Trinitarians say, to whom he prayed, and the Holy Spirit, who performed the miracle act of paternity, from Luke chapter 1, verse 35, end quote. So is this a valid argument? Is this guy right? Well, no. Jesus is not the Father. Let me just say this. The evidence for the distinction between Jesus and God the Father are just absolutely abundant throughout the New Testament scriptures. Support for this distinction can be found not just in in the gospel narratives, but also in the epistles and, and the book of Revelation as well. So let's take a quick look at some of these passages which make a clear distinction between Jesus and the Father. But first, let's respond to some of the allegations that McGee gave here that Jesus is the Father. Let's look at some of the verses that he cited. Well, first of all, uh, in response to McGee citing 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we should note that this verse reveals that all things are from God the Father and that we exist for him. The same verse, however, also notes that all things are by Jesus Christ and that we exist through him. From a contextual grammatical perspective, this argument that he gives is poor at best and dishonest at worst. He also cites Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, which states that there is, quote, one God and Father. But if we look at the context, context, Paul also states that there's one spirit from verse 4, and he uh, refers to the body of Christ and the gift of Christ. Uh, That's from verse 7. So again, this is an invalid reference to Scripture since it doesn't take context into account. McGee also cites John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, which is uh, actually the passage in which Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well that a time is coming when the Father will be worshipped. That's in verse 21. However, if Jesus was claiming to be God the Father, then why didn't he just tell the woman that he would be the one being worshipped? Why does Jesus refer to the Father as if he's totally and completely separate and distinct from the Father if Jesus himself is the Father? You know, I think it's very significant to note that Jesus never once said that he was the Father. Secondly, in response to the claim that Jesus is the Father, this would render a lot of things that Jesus said to be illogical or uh, or, or meaningless. Uh, it would just be senseless. Why would Jesus refer to the Father as he instead of me? Or why would Jesus pray to the Father if he himself was the Father? Well, the one as Pentecostals would respond that uh, that it was the human side of Jesus praying to uh, praying to God, and that the divine side of Jesus never prayed. However, one of Jesus' prayers from John chapter 17, verse 5, for example, was, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. 
Well, we know that God doesn't share his glory. That's something that we covered in our previous lesson. But here, Jesus is saying that he shared the glory with the Father. So either God shares his glory with man, which we can just absolutely rule out. Scripture doesn't reveal a God who shares his glory with man. Or... Jesus was praying as the God-man, who was fully God, and thus shared the glory of God with the Father before the world was. Third, it's significant to note that in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus refers to himself as being, quote, sent by the Father. Just that term, sent by the Father, no less than 40 times throughout John's Gospel narrative. Yet, as former Oneness Pentecostal Greg Boyd points out, and he's not uh, Oneness Pentecostal anymore, but he writes a book where he says, quote, Never does he, that is Jesus, refer to himself as the Father who sent the Son. That's what he writes in his book called Oneness Pentecostals and the Trinity. I mean, after all, if Jesus is identical to the Father in personhood, why does Scripture never record Jesus speaking as the Father. I mean, it would have been both logically and linguistically non-intelligent for Jesus to assert that he who has sent me is with me, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That's from John chapter 8, verse 29. This would be totally meaningless and non-intelligible if Jesus were indeed identical to the Father in personhood. So clearly, we can confidently conclude that Jesus is not the Father. And this is just a small sampling of the verses that actually go into the distinction between Jesus and the Father. So we've got at least a minimum of two distinct persons who are fully God. But what about the Holy Spirit? Well, one is Pentecostals and the UPCI also claim that Jesus himself is the Holy Spirit. Does scripture support that idea, or is there evidence that they are distinct from one another, just like Jesus is distinct from the Father? Uh, Back to McGee's book, he argues that this would create two spirits, arguing that the Father is referred to as a spirit. That's in John chapter 4, verse 24, he says. Yet the Holy Spirit is also a spirit, but this can't be, since the Bible teaches that there is one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. McGee also points out that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord is the Spirit. And so this, combined with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, which states that there is one Spirit, and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, which states that there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, leads the oneness Pentecostal uh, authors to conclude that Jesus himself must be the Holy Spirit. Well, just like he did in drawing the conclusion that Jesus is the Father, however, McGee does not take into account context. Context is everything. He doesn't take it into account when he draws his conclusions. And so this is just academic dishonesty, honestly, which is something that we should never take lightly when it relates to our doctrine. So in response, first of all, uh, the claim that John chapter 4 verse 24 says that the Father is spirit, um, it doesn't eliminate the possibility of the Holy Spirit being spirit any more than me saying that I am a human being eliminates the possibility of McGee or anyone else also being a human being. Further, we should note that John 4.24 doesn't say that only the Father is spirit. Rather, it says that God is spirit. So to apply this exclusively to the Father, and only to the Father, is a stretch at best. Uh, we should also note that McGee referenced uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, which states that there is one Spirit. However, as we noted before, this very same passage also refers to God the Father in verse 6 and Jesus in verse 7. 
Further, if we blur the clear distinction being made in this passage between the persons of the Trinity, then what prevents us from blurring the distinction between the body of Christ, that is, believers, which is mentioned in this passage, and God? I mean, this would be equally valid to say that if these are all the same person, then the body of Christ is also the same person. But we reject this because the distinction between the body of Christ and God is clearly being made. Well, the same distinction is being made in this passage between the persons in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, further, in response to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, which says there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, this sense of lordship, uh, the Greek word being used as kurios, is not the same sense being referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, which is the passage he mixes and matches with. The verse from 1 Corinthians is not saying that there is only one Lord in the sense that there is only one person who is God. Rather, the grammar indicates uh, that it's saying that there is one Lord by whom all things have their existence which corresponds with Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. So instead of using these verses to affirm that Jesus is the Holy Spirit, what these verses are actually affirming is the deity of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, while it wouldn't be uh, necessarily practical or even necessary to examine each and every verse and passage which demonstrates the clear distinction between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of John alone provides a convincing argument for such a distinction. Let's look at uh, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Here, John records Jesus telling his disciples, quote, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the Greek word there is allos, He'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, the spirit of truth. So clearly, the use of alos here, another, indicates that Jesus is not speaking of himself as the one who would be given by the Father. Why would he refer to it as another if that was he himself? Uh, as noted by Greek scholar Walter Bauer, the primary usage of the word alos is to indicate a thing or person which is, quote, different from the subject who is speaking or who is logically understood to be different from, end quote. That's from the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, second edition. Another passage that we can look at is John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, which provides another clear example of Jesus being totally separate and distinct from the Holy Spirit. In this passage, Jesus says that, quote, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. There are so many distinctions being made in here between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's not even funny. But clearly, Jesus is speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit as a future event, as indicated by the word when. Now, if Jesus himself was the Holy Spirit, then why would he speak of the coming of the Holy Spirit as a future event? Why did he give no indication that he was speaking of himself, but instead spoke as if he was referring to the Holy Spirit as being someone separate and distinct from himself. If Jesus himself is the Holy Spirit, why did the disciples not respond by noting that he, Jesus, is the Spirit of truth and was already with them? So grammatically speaking, I mean, this verse would make absolutely no sense whatsoever if Jesus himself was the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is referring to himself in the first person and the third person, it just makes absolutely no sense. Nobody speaks that way. So the conclusion is evident. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all 
persons. They are all uh, they all have the qualities of a person, and further, they are all fully God. And finally, they're distinct from one another in that they are three separate and distinct persons, and yet they are one in substance, essence, and nature. Scripture doesn't ever use the word Trinity, but it doesn't need to use that word to communicate this understanding of God's nature. So back to our example or our illustration for the Trinity using water, since it can be ice, liquid, and steam. Uh, Is this a valid illustration of the Trinity? No, because it can't be liquid, ice, and vapor, or steam all at the same time. Those are modes of water, right? So it's a totally illegitimate illustration for the Trinity. And actually, that is a fine example of modalism. So anyway, I hope that clears this whole issue up for you guys. I realize that there are a lot of questions that are probably still left out there. So if you have any questions, definitely um, feel free to contact me. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And I'd be happy to, uh, to address any questions that you guys have pertaining to the Trinity. So anyway, God bless you guys. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.